I've been reading a biography on Captain James Cook lately. And as I've been reading the biography, what has impressed me about him is his dedication to the task, his dedication to his role. You see, James Cook was born a simple peasant farmer. He didn't grow up or was born by the sea. He lived roughly an hour's journey from the sea and he would travel to the local port to sell his family wares, his family produce from time to time. But when he became of age to leave the family, to take on his profession, he decided that he wanted to be a sailor. The sea had called him and he got an apprenticeship. And in this apprenticeship, it was a three-year or four-year apprenticeship. In this apprenticeship, he had to dedicate himself to the task. He had to say, I am going to work for this set period of time for uh, and do this job. I will not go to the local playhouse, local bar. I'd accept very little wages and I will live with you. And it was very clear during his apprenticeship that James Cook was a skilled sailor, that he would be very good at his job. And he was working as an apprentice in the Merchant Marine for those years. And when the apprenticeship finished, his employers offered him a high position. They said, you will be good at this job. And he was offered a a simple but lucrative position where he'd be able to build himself up and push himself further in his career. James Cook then made a decision that was very different to what most people thought he would do and what most people in his line of in the Merchant Marine would do. He decided to join the Navy. And what was fascinating about his decision to join the British Navy at the time was it would require him to go back to the very start, to go back and earn the very little and be a subordinate again and build his career up again. Even though he had the chance to be a captain, to do well in the Merchant Marine, that was not what he wanted to do. He wanted to join the Navy and had bigger vision, a bigger goal in mind. Now, these last two weeks and this series we're looking at and Barney's, we're looking at vision. We're looking at our goals, what matters to us as a church, where we're hoping to go. And the last two talks, Dave and Joe have outlined a great goal that we're seeking to glorify God and that we're seeking to see people in this community. These next two talks, Joe and I, will be looking at the Barney's Prayer. And we're going to be going through the sections of the Barney's Prayer to see how the Barney's Prayer the Barney's Prayer reflects our vision. And as we look at the Barney's Prayer, it comes in three paragraphs. I'm not going to deal with the first paragraph at all because in the first paragraph, Dave and Joe, oh, Dave and Joe have been dealing with that really over these past two weeks. And I would strongly urge you to go back if you haven't seen those talks and look at them. They're really, really good. In this talk, we're going to be really focusing on that centre section, hearing how we sort of respond to what God is doing in the world, respond to what God calls on us and 
see how we or see how we decide to focus or implement the vision. This talk today is about are we on board with the vision? Are we on board where we're, with where Barney's is going? And I'm going to look at 2 Peter and some of what 2 Peter has to say because I think 2 Peter has some very helpful things to say to us as we look at the Barney vision. And 2 Peter starts off with this and this is 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. As we look at that verse, we see that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. By life, it means relating rightly to God, to be have a right relationship with God. And the second part in terms of godliness, to be of God's character, to have that character. See, at Barney's, what matters to us, as the first part of the prayer says, is that we glorify God. That's what we're on about. Seeing God's character, seeing God's desires, God's hopes, God's vision implemented in the world. And that is to see the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done glorified and put first. That is what the first part of the prayer is really about. It is about glorifying God. Christianity is about relating rightly with God through Jesus. Christians learn to relate to God throughout their lives, that we might grow in our godliness, that we might have a greater character, that we might show who God is. That's what life is about, showing the joys, showing the greatness of our God and our creator. I always say every every single human being has a relationship with God. Everyone has a relationship with God. Whether they choose to acknowledge that relationship or not is irrelevant. We all, every single human being has a relationship with God. The joy of being a Christian is knowing that we relate rightly with God through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And knowing this, God desires that we grow to glorify him, to grow to show his character, which is where the second part of the prayer picks up, that second paragraph, because it's what we ask for first. We read this. Give us grace, patience, love and confidence. Give us grace, patience, love and confidence. These, that is, we wish to display the character of God in our lives. But if you're anything like me, you realise that you will struggle with this, that we get it wrong, that we don't always relate 
rightly with God, that we're not always displaying his character. Christianity is a modelled relationship. Christianity models what it means to relate rightly to God. That's what I've been saying. And our first model is the Lord Jesus himself. But when we get it wrong, well, how does that fit in? When I was in Bible study at Campbelltown, you know, I had some interesting characters. It was a it was a biggish group. It was a, quite a large group of guys. And there were some guys in it that were quite difficult of character. They wouldn't ever admit they were wrong about anything. And this one particular guy, one day, I showed him how he was wrong and he was just coming up with every way and every means to avoid the conclusion of his arguments. And I'm showing him... And it, I just got really impatient and I snapped at him. Not harshly, I didn't yell at him or anything. I just, I just lost my patience and snapped at him. And this guy had, had, uh, struggles, uh, with depression and other issues having to do with mental issues. And my just snapping at him a little bit and saying, will you just get it? Uh, it really caused him quite a bit of consternation and he, and, he, and, he, and he couldn't cope with the tension and the, uh, the argument of the room. He couldn't cope that people, that there was a fight. And he had to, he had to say, oh, I just can't cope with this today. I'm just going to have to leave today. And, you know, he came back next, next week. But he couldn't cope at this time. Uh, and we're still friends to this day. Uh, but another person in the Bible study had saw my my impatience and my and my snapping at this guy, and he did not like it, and he was upset by it, and he was so upset that he stopped coming to the Bible study as well. But worse still, he stopped coming to church. Now that wasn't just because of the Bible study; I knew there were other issues going on. Anyway, a few months ago, I ran into this guy. And we had a pleasant conversation. It was a, it was a nice conversation. And as the conversation was coming to a close, I said to this guy, and I won't use his name, I said, oh, I'm sorry that I failed you. And he, and he looked at me and he knew what I was talking about and he said to me, oh, it's okay. And I said, no, it's not. I let you down and I'm sorry. And the reason I said that to him was because I knew he was having issues with other people and I knew he was having issues uh, in the church and that my snapping was the uh, at this other guy was the straw that broke the camel's back. And because he'd stopped coming to church, he'd stopped going, what I really wanted was a chance for him to reset. I wanted him to go back to church because he is a godly guy. He's a lovely guy who just felt frustrated about a lot of things. And so I said sorry because I cared for him and I know that going to church was the most important thing for his life that he does because it cares for his family and uh, his children and so forth. Now, he said to me during that conversation that he would go back. Now, I, I don't know if he has or not. I hope he does and I'm praying for that, that he does. But most importantly... What I want to and why I bring up this story is because my desire, my goal for him 
was that even in my failure, that I acknowledge my wrong, that I'll be humble about it, that I'll be grateful, that I ask for his forgiveness in that situation, even though it wasn't done to him per se. And that I show the character of God that he might be different, that he will continue to grow, that he will continue to trust God, that he will go back to church and listen and learn to forgive as he was asked for forgiveness uh, from someone else. What I was showing and hoping to demonstrate was the character of God in a sincere apology. It wasn't sincere. If it's not sincere, then it would have been useless. That he might grow. That the grace, that forgiveness, the very forgiveness that we have received from God, the very forgiveness that Jesus' blood paid for so that we could be back into right relationship with God. That grace of life will be demonstrated in us, that we will be patient, that, you know, won't snap, that when we do, we'll admit it and uh, humble ourselves and say, yeah, I'm sorry, that we'll be loving, that we'll put others first. That is the very character that matters, that those aspects of our life be shown. And that's what we're asking for at the start of this prayer, that the very characters of God will be so manifest in life that even in when we are right or when we are wrong, whatever situation we find ourselves, the thing that matters to us, the thing that we put as the first priority is that God's character be displayed. The next word that we're asking for is confidence, that we be confident. Now, when I was going through the Anglican minister process, this was a word that I personally really struggled with for a number of reasons. I don't feel a very confident person. And the guy who was in charge of ordinance of people who are seeking to become ministers said, Ministers are confident people. And I really struggled with that language of confidence with that because I thought, well, if my confidence is in God and my confidence is in what Jesus has done for us, how can I be confident as a minister? And the mistake I had made was to to think of confidence as self-confidence, that we need to be self-confident. But I also realised that what this guy was saying was also correct, that ministers have a certain confidence about them. See in Joe all the time, just trusting, he's confident. But I came to realise that the key to confidence isn't self-confidence, it's assurance. It's a sure knowledge that Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. It's a sure knowledge that God is in control of each and every situation, that God is working his purposes in and through each situation. That's the confidence. It's a confidence not in ourselves. It's a confidence in God and his plans and his purposes, that God has placed us in the situations that he has got us, that God has placed this church, Barney's, Ingleburn, in Ingleburn, in Glenfield, in Macquarie Fields, 
to achieve his purposes. That God has placed each individual in this church in his sovereignty to achieve his purposes, to achieve his goals. That's where true confidence comes from. It's not in our ability to do stuff. It's in God's ability and God's sovereignty. And so we have a go. We know we get it right. We know we get it wrong. But whatever happens, we're assured that God doesn't lose control of the situation. And so that allows us to proceed forward. So when we're in our daily relationships with people and we're worried, oh, how's this going to go? We don't lose confidence because we're assured that God has placed us there. That is the good news. And so we're asking God to give us a very right relationship to acknowledge that in the situations, right or wrong, that he is growing us through that situation. Give us grace. Give us Love. Give us confidence. Give us assurance. Give us patience that in the situation that we will see the kingdom of God grow, that we will connect to our community and seek the growth of the kingdom of God. This is what Peter sort of goes on to say. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Having God's character in our life, having the growth of God's character in our life, we therefore go out and seek the growth of the kingdom in our broader community. And there are two aspects in the prayer, to connect to the community and to grow and seek the growth of the kingdom. Now, I'm not going to deal with the connect part because David, again, spoke a lot about connections last week. Have a look at his talk. And he's really dealing with up on that top right-hand corner, engage in evangelism. That is our connection. We want to engage, we want to connect to the community and we want to evangelise, we want to teach God's word and we'll come back to that in a second. But what I want to focus on here is to seek the growth of the kingdom of God in Ingleburn, Glen Quarry and our surrounds. That is, we want to see the kingdom of God grow in our community and I mean our broader community and also around the world. You know, that's why we had Matt Bales as a missionary. We pray for Amy. We pray for the Blouses. We pray for Lewis. We, In doing that, we're seeking the kingdom, not just on our patch, but we're realising that there's a bigger vision. But we do have the growth of the kingdom in mind. And this is where the prayer really puts it on us. Is that your vision? Do you seek the growth of the kingdom of God in the community of Ingleburn, Glen Quarry and our surrounds? Is that what matters to you? What do you think 
church is about. It's a, a good time. It's just catching up with some friends. It's a good community to be a part of. All true. But is that the main goal? Is that the main hope? What matters to you about church? See, our vision statement is saying growth of the kingdom. It's not saying those other things are unimportant or they'll be forgotten because they're as vital and important to church life as anything else. But they are there to facilitate the broader goal, which is God's goal of seeking the kingdom grow in our area. It was interesting listening to Matt Bales last night talk about the demographics of the area. And I admit I was surprised by some of the things that he said, some of the different people groups that are moving, 15%, I think he was saying, and I need to go and check this for sure, but 15% are Muslims in our area. Do they matter to us? Are they important because they're part of our community? Are we going to take the time and the effort? Are we going to do the training? Are we going to seek the help that is required to reach people different from ourselves, who think differently from ourselves, whose worldview is totally foreign in a lot of ways. See, this prayer is asking us to want to care and see the gospel go out in our community. And that growth, there's two aspects to that growth. There's a growth in numbers and there's a growth in maturity. And a quick and easy way to test whether growth is important, that growth in numbers is important, is this. Who are you praying for? Are you praying for anybody else? I know a lot of you are, but are you doing that? Who are you praying for? I know six people who I am constantly in prayer for. I don't have completely regular contact with these six people. There are six people who I run into in my daily life and who I have fairly uh, regular, though somewhat infrequent, contact with. None of them are connected to Barney's ministry. They're just people I run to in my life uh, uh, that is not directly connected to my ministry to Barney's. And I'm praying for them. I'm talking to them. I'm asking that God will change. And it doesn't mean every conversation, I sit down, we meet up, we sit down, I go, oh, okay, it's time to do two ways to live. You know, sometimes I sit down uh, and we talk about God where it's appropriate in the conversation. Sometimes we just talk about other things. One of them, I have been looking for an opportunity to talk about God and it hasn't come up and I keep praying each and every week for opportunities and that God might give me an opportunity that I could recognise. God might have given me opportunities and I'm too silly to see it. That's entirely possible. But I am praying for opportunities for God, for me to share the gospel. And they're not things that I've gone out of the way in my daily life to create. They're just, as I go through my life, These are the people who I'm running into and who I'm praying for and caring for. And see, that's what we sometimes think with evangelism. We can think, oh, okay, I need to make a a separate effort. I need to go and do something. No, just think about your life. Think about where you are in your life. Think about what you're doing from day to day, week to week, 
Who are the people you're in contact? Who are the family members? Who are the friends? Who are the work colleagues that you can be talking to and have a chance? And then be praying for opportunities. And be aware they don't always come up. Okay. But if you're regularly in contact, pray that they will come up. Because if you're not praying, you will never see or never see any opportunities that God may or may not give you. But if you're in prayer, you're watching. You're hoping, God, may this be the day where I share something little. And it, you know, and it might not be a great conversation. It might not be the whole conversations about Jesus. Generally, most of those conversations I have very, very little has to do explicitly with God. And I slip in seeds here and hopes there and Pray for opportunities. Pray that God will open up those opportunities. But the second part of growth is growth in maturity. Are you praying for maturity in your family? You know, I'm constantly in prayer for maturity with my children, with my wife, that the opportunities they have, that the ministries they do, as my kids grow and go to school, that they will see Jesus as the most important. It is my constant prayer for them. Praying for Joe and Dave that they continue to grow and be faithful in Christ. You know, they are already faithful men in Christ. They are already very godly guys. Still pray for growth. Pray for growth in all people. It doesn't matter where you are in the Christian world. It doesn't matter how mature or immature you may be. We all need to grow to become more and more like Jesus. And so are we praying And pray, when I talk about Joe, Dave and myself, be praying for us. Pray that we will be faithful, godly men, that as we lead this church, that we will hold and care for and hold out with true confidence and faithfulness the word of God, that people will come to know and to trust Jesus, which really leads back to the final part and the means by which we see this confidence, we see this growth, we ask for this character and see the kingdom grow in this final part of this part of the prayer by proclaiming Jesus, by proclaiming his word. We want people to relate rightly with God. That That's our goal. That is our goal. That's our vision. We want people to relate rightly with God. And because God has spoken, the way you relate rightly with him is through his word, his son. We read in 2 Peter a little bit further on, no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. See, it is the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible. That's why we're word-focused. Because you cannot separate the word from the spirit. Remember a guy came up to me at a Bible study uh, at uni and he didn't like my focus on the word. He kept on saying, we shouldn't be focused on the word, we should be doing this and we should be doing that. And, we, and I'm like, yeah, we can do all this, but we need to stay focused on the word of God because that is how we relate. Anyway, he was talking to, and he was a Roman Catholic, he was talking to his minister. And one day he came to me and he stood before me proudly and he said, you're wrong. And I went, oh, okay, why am I wrong? Knowing that I probably am about something. But anyway, he said, you're wrong. He said, I have the spirit of God in me. That way I know the truth. And I said, yeah, but the spirit of God spent thousands of years 
writing the Bible. If the Spirit of God is in you, why is he pointing you away from the word that he spent and put so much effort into giving the world? And he just looked at me and it just never occurred to him that those two should be connected. He had disconnected them so in his mind that he, he, the word and the spirit didn't go together. And when I put them together, he was just like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. We relate to God through his word. That is why we teach the Bible. And we seek to see other people relate to God through his word. That is why we teach the Bible. Can I encourage you as we think about the vision that by God's grace we will continue to teach his word, that he will give us confidence, give us his character, that we might go forth holding out his word to see his kingdom grow through the proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Amen.